So last week we started a three-part series on how to neighbor. It's a series that is meant to help us move our talk about representing Jesus in our lives and on the front line of where we live and move to actually doing it instead of just talking about it. Also, last Sunday, I gave you um, this block map assignment and challenged you to write down the names of the eight, the people who live in the eight uh, houses nearest to you. And how many of you grabbed a neighborhood block map magnet and were able to write the names of your neighbors and start praying for them? Anybody? Okay, good. Uh, was anyone able to, it's been cold this week, I know, so was anyone able to fill in a blank spot on their map because you learned someone's name this past week? Okay, I see that hand. I see that hand. Okay, there's, I see a few of, yeah, that's great. There's still more time for those of you that um, were not able to. I get it, it's cold, it's not, you only probably see your neighbors when you're out shoveling right now, <laughs> um, but we're all out shoveling. So um, hopefully you can make a connection. If not, nothing else, knocking on a door with a few cookies isn't a bad idea. And so you can still do this after you leave here today. If you were missed last Sunday and you don't have a block map, there's a few more sitting up front here, and I welcome you to pick one up and write the names of your eight closest neighbors on it and start praying for them. But today I want to talk about eliminating the time barrier that comes and keeps us from building those relationships with our neighbors and the people that live nearest to us. And so I have two insights in how to do that. And the first would be that the biggest obstacle to taking the great commandment seriously is time. And to begin with, if I can remind you about what we talked about last week, and remind you what the great commandment is, it's one of the most powerful teachings that Jesus ever taught because it summarizes for us what is the most important attitude that we can have as a follower of Christ and where we must be centered in. It's predominantly, in the easiest spot to find it is Matthew chapter 22, which was read for us. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus' response, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we make time in our lives for the things that are important to us. And last week, I said that the great commandment was extremely important to Jesus. He said that eternal life and all the truth of God found in the writings of the Old Testament prophets, all of God's spiritual laws hang in the balance of being obedient to the great commandment, which is loving God and loving people. I'd call that pretty important. If you were here last week, I don't doubt that you may be left a little bit conflicted. You may have been thinking to yourself, do I really want to put myself out there in building relationships with my neighbors? Now this morning, you might be thinking, well, how in the world am I going to have the time to get to know my neighbor 
My life is already full as it is. How am I going to have time for one more relationship, much less another eight relationships? I get that. Time is probably our most precious commodity. However, if loving God and loving our neighbor is that important to Jesus, it should also capture our attention and seize our passions, arrest our commitments, and excite our enthusiasm. And you know what? If it doesn't do those things, what we're really saying is I don't consider loving my neighbor as important as everything else I do. And if that's where you're at, you're going to be in conflict with the heart of Jesus Christ. So I want you to wrestle with this question today. Are we living at a pace that allows us to be available to those who live around us? We live in a world that values production and efficiency and activity. We move from one task to another to another. We try to get through our inbox and through all of our voicemails, and I have a to-do list for myself at home, and I have a to-do list for myself at work, and I love being able to check off those boxes, but I am maxed out at the end of the day. Have you thought about the fact that we now live in a time where there are more time-saving devices than at any other point in the history of our world? Technology is supposed to give us extra time, and yet we are still cramming more and more into our day instead of creating margins in our life. If someone came to you 20 years ago and said, hey, let me tell you about what your life is going to look like in 20 years, did you know that you're going to be able to work in your car? You know, did you know that you're actually going to be able to make phone calls while you're driving in your car? And then guess what? You're going to be able to write letters while you're driving in your car, talking on your phone and getting all those phone calls done. And even better than that, you're also going to be able to um, have this thing on your TV where you just press a button and you record all your favorite shows and then you watch them whenever you want to and you get to skip all the commercials. I could go on and on about what your life would look like in 20 years. If I would have told you all that 20 years ago, your brain would start to think about, okay, I, what am I going to do with all this extra time I have? I know I'm going to have free time, and I'm going to be able to do what, I, what used to take me 45 or 50 hours. Now I'll be able to finish it in just 12 hours. And you know what? That's actually true. We have become more efficient we can get so much more done with all the advances in technology. But there's a problem, right? Instead of having 20 extra hours to go golfing, or 20 extra hours to bake, or 20 extra hours to spend with our families, very few of us have actually taken advantage of what we're able to do because of technology, and very few of us have actually created more space or more margin in our lives. What we've actually done is we've decided, you know what, I'm going to just jam more and more things into my life. We're going to do more and more and more, and you know what, if I don't, I'm going to start to fall behind. There are a number of different myths that cause us to jam more and more into our life. 
The first one is that someday things will settle down. If I can just get through this next week, then things will be much more peaceful. And the reality is that things will only settle down if we get intentional about saying no to things or when we die. The second myth is that more will be enough. And this lie that we fall into sometimes, we can, if I just make that one more purchase, I'm only one purchase away from contentment. If I just had this, and if you buy into that, it's going to drive you crazy over time. And that third lie is that everybody lives like this. Everybody lives at an incredibly hectic pace. Everybody skims the surface of life. And that may seem, seem true to you, but in reality, everybody does not live like this, like there's too much to get done and not enough time. In fact, Jesus has told us that there's a different way for us to live. And so we're going to go to the same chapter that we spent time in last week, in Luke chapter 10, and it's the story that comes right after the Good Samaritan passage that we looked at last Sunday. So if we go to the scriptures and find, I want you to see the proof here that the kingdom of God is as real as the life we experience around us each day. And there is a mandate here to love others as ourselves, and that deserves a priority in how we live our lives. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried about and men upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Martha is so busy that she misses out on what is most important. Now, most of us struggle with busyness, and our dilemma is much bigger than just a shortage of time. It's a problem about, of our priorities. The urgent crowds out what's important. We invest in the minor things, and we miss the main thing. The story of Mary and Martha teaches us that we need to live counterculturally in order to experience the life that Jesus wants us to live. We need to learn to say no to good things so that we can say yes to the best thing, the main thing. Ray Ortland wrote a book several years ago, a pretty simple book titled The Three Priorities of the Local Church, and this is what they are in a nutshell. Love God fully, love people intentionally, and love people toward a relationship with Jesus. Love God, love people, love people to Jesus. That would be the main thing. The truth is, we live in this tension between what's urgent and what's important, and our priorities are often determined by what's urgent, and our lives don't actually match up with our intentions. But Jesus is our perfect example, and he got a whole lot done, but he was never hurried. Mark 1.35 says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Luke chapter 4, Early the next morning, Jesus went to an isolated place. The crowd searched, and when they found him, they begged him not to leave. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns. Luke chapter 9, 
Jesus left the crowds to pray. Only his disciples were with him. Again, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on the mountain to pray. Jesus' life was lived in this very specific rhythm. He regularly slowed down in order to live his life at a healthy pace, to get recentered on living life within God's kingdom and God's priorities. Jesus found himself in large groups of hundreds and thousands. He found himself in small groups of 12 and sometimes three, intimate groups of just three. But so often we see examples where Jesus is pulling away so that it's just him and his heavenly father. That was his spiritual refueling time. Do we live at a pace that allows us to be in a rhythm of spiritual refueling, as well as being available to those around us? Do we allow for margins in our life so that people can interrupt us? Jesus had time for people interruptions. Do we? In Matthew 14, Jesus had just learned about the death of his cousin, John the Baptist, and he needed some time alone to grieve. However, look at what happens in Matthew 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns, and when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And then the rest of Matthew 14 is actually very revealing. So he's teaching and he's healing all day. He's wanting to be alone, but he's dealing with the crowds. And it's starting to get late, and the disciples tell Jesus that the crowd's getting hungry and to send them away so they can go back to their villages and buy food. And what does Jesus say to them? Nope, you feed them. Jesus is all about priorities, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the disciples said, well, yeah, but all we have here is a few fish and chips. And then Jesus prayed, and he multiplied the food, and all the people were fed. And then after the needs of the people were met, Jesus wanted to get back to his original plan to be alone with his father and pray. So Jesus says to his disciples, we're still in Matthew 14, get in your boat and go, because I need some alone time. This is Jesus loving God with his whole heart and his whole mind and his strength and his soul. So the disciples take off in the boat. Jesus finally gets some alone time with his father. At three o'clock in the morning, Jesus, with this godly intuition, realizes the disciples are in trouble. Out in the Sea of Galilee, there's a storm that's tossing them around like a bobber. And Jesus is saying, really? Now? Jesus didn't have a boat. So he takes off, walking on the water, reaches the boat, calms the storm, saves his buddies. Jesus had room for people interruptions. Can we say that? What would it take to change the pace of your life so that you could be available to those around you? Second, love and hurry are not compatible. So if we go back to Luke chapter 10 
and the occasion where Jesus invited Mary Martha, or Jesus visits his friends, Mary Martha and Lazarus. You get to verse 39 of Luke 10, and it says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted. And then in verse 42, Jesus ends up saying, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Mary's lack of hurry allowed her to choose what Jesus considered to be the best thing. Now, is preparing a meal important? Sure it is. We have to eat. No food means no dinner. However, a fussed over meal is not as important as allowing Jesus to feed our souls. After Michelangelo had sculpted the famous statue of David, supposedly someone had asked him, how did you manage to create this beautiful sculpture from a block of marble? And Michelangelo responded, oh, that was easy. I just chipped away at everything that didn't look like David. We call that the art of elimination. And it's probably something that we need to learn how to do as well. We have so many choices, so much stuff going on, that we need to figure out how and what we're gonna chip away at, what activities are keeping us from giving time to the things what activities are keeping us from giving time to the things that don't look like Jesus? What are we doing that doesn't look like Jesus and we need to start chipping away at? And it's not just a multitude of activity. It's also the hurry that's created by our activity. In John Ortberg's book, The Life You've Always Wanted, he writes, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life of our day. He coins the phrase, hurry sickness. And he says, the reason hurrying is become so dangerous is because love and hurry are not compatible. Love always takes time, extra time, and the time is the one thing that hurried people never have. Hurry is toxic. Whether it's with your spouse, our kids, our roommate, our neighbor. Hurry is toxic. So take another look at Mary in Luke chapter 10. In particular, I want you to look at verse 39, which I think is significant. Mary sits at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. In the Hebrew culture, to sit at someone's feet indicates you, there's a relationship between the disciple and the teacher. And in that culture, however, women were not supposed to be students much less disciples of a rabbi. They were supposed to be in the kitchen, helping to fix the meal. A woman's identity was always intertwined with her ability to be a good hostess. But Mary defies cultural norms of her day. Instead, her life is centered on the main thing. Now, in the same way, if we're going to love our neighbors well, we must be like Mary and be countercultural. So when you look at your calendar, how well does it match up with the great commandment to love God and love your neighbor? 
what's the next step for us today? Is it to knock on someone's door, bring them a plate of cookies, invite them over for coffee? You may want to take a walk in your neighborhood. I know it's cold, but you can bundle up. Bust down the time barrier and talk to a neighbor. Knock on their door. Invite them for coffee. Pray. See what happens as you're relating to your neighbor. Maybe God is calling you to give up something so that you can make room for the main thing. I'm going to invite the band back up, and I want, as we leave today, I want to toss out a few questions your direction. Could you ask God and say, God, what is your heart for me? What is the next step, God, that you desire for me to take? And a third question for God and you to work out. What is the main thing you want me to focus on? You'll be in for a ride. It'll change everything. And actually, I think this is a lot like raising kids. It's really hard sometimes, having kids. But I don't want to go back. And you'll find that the same is true when it comes to neighboring. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that your word encourages us and challenges us. And God, I pray that you would give us the courage we need to make time for our neighbors and to make our neighbors a priority in our life. God, I pray that you would use the people in this room to engage the community of Lincoln in a powerful and fresh way. It's in your name that we pray and depend on you. Amen.